good morning. If you have your Bible, would you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And if you have your word, let us receive it. Would you all stand? Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16. Here is the word of God. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. Father, we come before you, we pray to the risen Lord, the word of God. We pray, Lord, that you will reveal yourself to us, that we will see you and understand your truth, the word that you, wants to com you want to communicate to us, for us to be discipled, for us to be equipped, for us to be trained, for the word that you have in mind as you placed us in your body. Father, what it means for us to be like you, what it means us to cultivate this unity, what it means for us to grow individually and together in Jesus Christ. Lord, will you reveal that to us today? We thank you for this time. Once again, it is our desire that you will be praised and honored. Help us to worship you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So church, uh, the title of this morning's sermon is Christ-likeness, Christ-likeness. Now what is it? What does it mean? What is Christ-likeness? It simply refers to um, the quality of being like Christ. It is as simple as that. If a person uh, is in Jesus Christ, and he demonstrates, he resembles this Christ-likeness, the qualities that was in Jesus Christ, then that's Christ-likeness. Is it important? Is it critical? For Christians, is it, what does it have to do with us? It has everything to do with us. It's critical, it's important for us to be like evermore, each and every day, to be like Lord Jesus Christ. 
And that's in fact why God saved us in Jesus Christ. He saved us, placed us squarely in Jesus Christ, in his body, so that we will become more like his son, Jesus Christ. And all that is to say, Christ's likeness, us becoming like Christ, us demonstrating these qualities of our Lord Jesus Christ, is the will of the Father when he saved us. So how important is it? It's critical. Now, we took two weeks off. We had Eugene's testimony and we had an Easter. So a couple, three weeks ago, we were on chapter four. In the beginning of chapter four, we see Paul begging, imploring, urging the Ephesians to walk in a manner, live in a manner that, uh, that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is worthy of the cross, worthy of his death, worthy of his resurrection. Live in a way that the Lord Jesus, who died on the cross, deserves from you. And in today's passage, he further explains how to live in that light, how to live in a way, in a manner that is worthy. And he explains it is a life, it is a journey for us to live that life. And that journey is simply can be also defined as becoming more like Christ. Every way we grow into Jesus Christ, every shape or form, the way that we carry ourselves, the way we conduct our business, everything resembles what Jesus would be, who is the head of the church. Now, in verses 11 through 13, Paul clearly states the purpose of God's church, the body of Jesus Christ. He begins in verse 11, God has given the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers to the church. God has given these people to the church. For what reason? What is the reason? Verse 12, this is the reason. These people are given to the church in order to equip the saints for the work of ministry. These people are given to the saints. Saints are by definition are the people who are set apart by God in Jesus Christ for God to utilize to accomplish his good and perfect plan. That's the definition of saints. These people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers are given to the saints in order to train, in order to equip, in order to disciple saints for the work of ministry. They're trained, equipped by the leaders of the church for the service of the church. Notice how Paul says the body of Christ, the believers, the saints, Christians, are to be trained, are to be equipped, and not for themselves and not for their own gains, for the gain, for the service of the church. I know we have this misconstrued the idea of church somewhere along the way in modern-day Protestant churches that we believe that church exists to train, equip them so that things will go well in their lives, so that they will be blessed, so that their life here on earth will go well. But Paul 
clearly, clearly let the church know we're being equipped each and every day. We're being discipled, trained by these specifically called people in the church in order to serve Christ, serve the Lord, serve the head of the church, and, and, and you serve the body. Now, in Word in Action, we just completed the book called Re Rediscovering the Church. And Tuesday, this past Tuesday, we had a meal together celebrating, you know, closing of the book. And we went through the closing, concluding part. And the authors were summarizing the entire book in a very overly simplified sentence. But I, to me, that wasn't really oversimplification. The author said, as you understand how critical, how important church is, the membership is, you being involved partner in this body of Jesus Christ, and it is biblical, it is God's will for you to be involved in brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you understand that, here is the summary. And what he says was simple. Show up together. Show up. Show up. That's the first part. Show up. Show up to the gathering. Show up to the Sunday worship service where brothers and sisters, where Christian saints will gather and celebrate the risen Lord. We gather to celebrate what God has done in his faithfulness, how, what he has done in our lives in the past week. We share, give thanks to God. Show up to the gatherings in your house church. Show up to the discipleship programs where you will be trained and equipped because you are going on a thin air or just barely empty tank if you're not being fed and replenished spiritually. Show up. And then the second part he was saying was, ask how you can help. Show up and ask. And I would even say, show up and look for a place where you can help these brothers and sisters these fellow brothers and sisters, the body that matters to you. No one has to convince you. No one has to beg you. If this is important, if this is in fact the body of Christ that Jesus has placed you, find a place where you can plug yourself, that you can uniquely use the talent that God has provided for you, not for the benefit of your own life, but benefit for the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ, the head to be glorified and honor and for the betterment, blessing, for you to be the blessing of the brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Why are we being trained, equipped, learning these things so that our heads will get bigger and bigger and we understand and be critical? No. It is for the ministry of the church. It is for us to serve the Lord. So I encourage you all, Pray and think about how you can uniquely, by God's design and in his will, to serve his church, no matter how trivial it may be. You know, from God's perspective, every sin is the same. If you are an adulterer or you just happens to have, you know, blur out the white lies, lie. And murderer, from God's perspective, sinners, equally sinful. But on the other hand, if you think about it, if you are serving God's church, serving the Lord, and if you are happens to be on the stage and receive all the spotlight, or you are the one that is serving the church, serving the Lord behind the scene, and no one knows, ever finds about what you do, 
from God's perspective, I guarantee and I promise you it is the same service. It is equally important service to God, no matter how trivial it may be. I want you to think about that. When you look for a church, when you look for a body, it's not only about you being fed and you being accountable, you being uh, doing things that is just making yourself feel good, or is it also where you can also not only be fed, it's important, show up, but also for you to serve. And help. You're not helping in a pity manner, but you are serving and helping, and you are playing that is role, the role that unique, uniquely designed for God, for you in this particular body. I should you think about that? Now, in verse 13, Paul says, This is the church's goal, this is what we strive and struggle. And that is to attain Christ-likeness. That is for us to be in the fullness of Christ. We, the church, must grow to the fullness of Christ. Now, how do we do that? First, we must grow in the unity of two things, faith and knowledge of the Son of God. How do we attain this unity? We got to have unity in faith, unity in knowledge. But on what subject, on what matter? As one body of Jesus Christ, you got to have this unity of the same truth and same knowledge of our Lord, who is the author and perfecter of our salvation. We don't believe what we want to believe. We believe in the truth of the Bible, but especially in the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. What gospel teaches. What the Bible as a whole, the old and new, declares. This is where our unity comes from. We don't build unity inside the church out of thin air. We build it out of the truth. And especially out of the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done and who he is and what he will be doing in our lives. Now, that is not enough for us to grow in the fullness it's not enough for us to grow in the same faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Job is not done. The church still has growing up to do. We still have to mature. And this maturity is not about, certainly not about chronological age. We're not talking about spiritual maturity because only because you know, you're 45. So you're, you know, as your body, as your chronological age further. It is not automatic and natural for you to grow spiritually. Maturity, we're talking about here in Ephesians 4, is not about your chronological age. It's not about your experience. It's not about your intelligence. It's not about your biblical knowledge. It's not about uh, your giftedness. It's not about your position. It's not about your influence in the church. Rather, what Paul is talking about, this maturity that is described here, is when the body of Christ reflects Christ-likeness. This maturity, this fullness of Christ, is being demonstrated by the members of the church, the body of the church, who Jesus Christ, without words, by demonstrating these qualities. We do that. We mature, we grow, and we resemble, we demonstrate the quality of our, qualities of our Lord 
emotionally as we engage one another, relationship-wise, spiritually as we carry ourselves in real practical manner we bring, demonstrate the fullness of Christ, not just a words, not just a concept, it shows. We need to grow. We need to mature as a church. Now, look up here. What, what I said so far, that we need to grow. We need to mature. We need to attain fullness of Christ, the becoming more like Jesus Christ. Have you heard that before? not the first time. You heard it many times that you and I must grow and mature. And you heard it in, 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 in book form, in sermon form, articles. You came across all you know, this thought, this concept so many times. Certainly not the first time. You not only know about this, heard it before, but do you not also agree that you need to grow in Christ? Mature to be more like Jesus Christ. Yes? Anybody disagree? Yeah, I didn't think so. Amen. Yes. I need to grow. I need to mature. I need to demonstrate. I need to harness this quality that was in Jesus Christ in my life. Yes? Absolutely. Then let me ask, what growth has you, have you, what growth have you experienced, have you seen in your life recently? I mean, we agree. We heard it many times and we agree. What maturity have you seen in your life and you experienced and others have noticed in your life recently? Because after this week, First four months of 2022 will be gone. First, 20, first four months. I mean, quite honestly, what, have, what, ha, what has been improved or changed in terms of your growth and maturity from 2021? Have you noticed the growth? Or are you the same person? And we're just repeating the same thing over and over. Is your love for Christ deeper? Today than yesterday? Should we be growing? Absolutely. Should we be maturing in Jesus Christ, demonstrating in Christ's likeness? What growth have you seen out of you? What maturity do you see? that you notice and others notice emotionally, spiritually. Is Paul asking too much to the Ephesians? That's a little too harsh, don't you think? As your pastor, as your shepherd, am I asking too much by asking you to consider these questions so that you can examine your walk? Or are we just going to walk for the sake of walk? But are we walking in Christ? Does that statement matter to you and I? The growth and maturity, is it happening? If that is something that we 
need to desire and needs to take place in our lives, then what prevents you from growing and maturing in Christ, resembling these Christ-like qualities in our lives? Paul states three reasons here in this passage. Three reasons, and those are pretty obvious reasons. The first one is pretty obvious. The things that prevents us from growing is our immaturity. I mean, the opposite of maturity is immaturity of a baby, of an infant. That's the opposite. Now, don't get me wrong. I love, you know, looking at babies. Babies are great, wonderful, precious, so cute, right? I mean, I'm saddened by the fact that Caleb is at the verge of just out of, getting out of this cuteness and that adorable you know, face, and you just want to hug him. I, you know, don't tell Justin. I, I don't feel that. <laughs> He's out of it. He's out of it. Babies are wonderful, cute, adorable. You know? Do you know what happens when a brand new mom brings a baby to the church for the first time? I've seen it so many times. Center of the attention. He, you know, he or she, the baby becomes a rock star. Not mom, not dad. The baby. Everyone wants to see the baby. Everyone wants, if that's possible, hold the baby. Babies are cute. They're just adorable. I mean, Silas, up here, adorable. And as you watch a baby grow, it's fascinating. When they, you know, are strong enough to hold their neck and hold their heads up, you will know. Just turn and then be able to look up and then even make eye contacts with you. And when you do and he smiles, she smiles. That's it. You know, when that first happened to me, uh, when Grace did that, she had me. She, she completely got me. Babies are so wonderful, adorable. They are just cute. And no one thinks that babies are dumb or stupid when they cry, right? Maybe John would. <laughs> you know, we, we don't think. I mean, babies are so dumb, so stupid when they fall, drool, and other parts of their bodies are leaking everywhere. We don't, generally. Why? Because they're, they're babies. They're supposed to be doing this. They can't help themselves. And in the same way, when God brought us in Jesus Christ as spiritual babies, there are things that we do. They're just looking a little dumb, a little stupid. But that's what babies do. We're newborn Christian. We're born again babies in Christ. And just like newborn babies, there is an excitement as a newborn Christian, right? As you learn more about God. You learn more about what Jesus did and what he said and what he taught and you read the word and it makes sense to you and you are discovering and you are experiencing God's grace and mercy and his faithfulness, not as just a concept, but you realize it and you live it. It's exciting, eye-opening. You see this amazing love and grace. These things are what the newborn Christians will experience. But nobody thinks it's cute 
and adorable when a person remains constantly as a baby. That's not cute, right? If a small child never learns to talk, never learns to walk, never figures out how to feed herself or himself, never outgrows the need for diaper, that's not cute anymore. That's not adorable. In fact, that is alarming. That, that caused you to wonder, is everything okay? Because it feels like and looks like something's terribly wrong. What would you do as a parent if your child is stop, you know, has stopped growing? What would you do? Ah, it's okay. Eventually, he will come around. No, you will start doing your research. Why? What, what's this cause? You're going to call professional for help. You're going to take your child to a doctor and just unload all these questions and want to get the professional help because it's not natural because you can see that compared to other babies. We all love babies, yet we also expect those babies to grow. That's how it goes. That's the natural way of life. In the same way, our spiritual inner person must grow and mature as well. Otherwise, something's off. Have serious problems. If you are remaining as baby, you are just doing the baby stuff over and over and over. That is exactly why Paul would speak to the Ephesians in this manner with this analogy. Immaturity. Now, another reason for our lack of growth, lack of maturity, is instability. It's instability. Now, Paul moves on briefly from toddler to tossing sea. The one who refused to grow up, one who does not mature in Jesus Christ, Paul says, is unstable. That's the characteristic, unstable. Therefore, this unstable person cannot control themselves. They don't have a firm grip of their lives, firm grip of their decision, but because they're in stability, they're being controlled by external forces. You do not control your life, but others and other circumstances controls you. Instable, instable, unstable, I should say. And this instability is obviously because of immaturity, but also it is caused by their lack of self-control. Do you know who lacks self-control? We all do in some regard. But babies, zero self-control. They don't have one. I mean, how much self-control would you expect from a baby? I mean, you could expect, but you're going to be very wrong very quickly. No matter the hour, no matter what you are doing, if they want something, if they're hungry, if their diaper's wet, what? They're going to cry and let you know. One minute they could be smiling, the next minute they could be screaming their lungs out. Whatever is happening at that particular moment will dictate their particular response. Does that make sense? That's what babies with a lack of self-control would do. Whatever is happening 
right at that particular moment will decide and will dictate their particular response. They're not dictating their lives. They're not controlling based on the truth, but they are unstable and their lives are dictated and controlled by the people around as they interact with them. And it's controlled by the circumstances, happenings in their lives. Have you taken your knees, cousins, to the ice cream shop? Take the kids to the Beskin Robins. They're in line. They don't care how long the line is. They keep asking for a little taste here and there. And they're having a hard time making up their mind. They, and, and, and what happens is they finally made up their mind, but then they see their friends, their siblings, their other customers get, and they, they are just not happy with what they've got. They regret their decision, unsure. And this is what happens with unstable baby Christians sometimes. As they could never decide how to live for Christ. Never decide how to live, walk in a manner that is worthy of the cross of his death and resurrection. Never firmly grasp how to serve, how to serve his, uh, their Lord their Savior, and their church, and sometimes even what to believe. That brings us to the final reason. Paul says another reason for our lack of growth, maturity, is our inability to discern. Inability to discern. says the wind that blows young Christians off their course is the false teachings, the cunning words of those who are out to deceive them. And this is another characteristic of a child lacking the ability to discern. <coughs> Spiritually immature Christians are like children playing in the street, ignoring the warning signs, not paying attention to the surroundings, happily enjoying themselves while their lives are in fact in danger. Maturity, know that our enemy is always near, that we are easily tempted and easily swayed and trapped. This maturity comes with humility, that with the humility that you don't trust yourself, but you trust in the Lord, that moment you feel that I've got this is when the devil will trap you in your own logic, in your own self-righteousness. Yet a lot of Christians lack the ability to discern what is right from wrong. Now, how can we avoid these pitfalls? Immaturity. Instability. Inability to discern. How do we overcome this? We do this, as Paul says, together. This is precisely why he placed you in the body. Because you are not equipped by yourself. First of all, you are not getting trained and disciple equipped without the leaders of the church, you making yourself, you showing up and being fed. Because without it, there's no way for you to serve. You need each other. You need church. You need leaders. And you need brothers and sisters 
We're there to grow with you. You don't grow by yourself. Look at verse 15 and 16. Particularly, Paul says, we need to speak and hear the truth in love. This is how we grow together. We need to speak the truth in love. Now, the path to maturity is through the truth, the Bible. Notice it says, speak the truth, not your opinions. And some have taken this verse to be a license to say whatever comes to their mind on any given subject. But you are supposed to give, speak the truth, not your relative truth. But the absolute truth, speak the, the truth in love. And when you speak the truth, this is a very difficult thing to do. How do we do this? How do you speak the truth in love? And I say, I'm still learning how to speak the truth in love. Because it's not an easy thing to do. It's in fact very difficult. But I believe it is speaking, that speaking the truth in love is this. Speaking the right truth to the right person at the right time in a right way for the right reason. That's speaking the truth. A lot of things have to go right. Speaking the truth in love. You need to speak the right truth out of all the truth. The right truth to that person. And at the right time, in a right way, for the right reason. And that's all that is to say, you need to take careful approach, prayerful approach to speak the truth in love. And when you speak the truth in love, you need to also consider the, is the truth in you. When you speak the truth, that truth, do you live by it? Do you stand by it? Now, when was the time the brothers and sisters who spoke the truth, what, how did you take it? Did you listen to the truth that was spoken to you in love? These are the things that you also have to consider. Oh, I'm going to speak the truth, but don't speak the truth to me. When you speak the truth, you need to prayerfully, in love, for the benefit of that person, you prayerfully look for that right opportunity to, uh, to go to God and ask for right words to come out of your mouth. That his or her heart will be open to hear the truth. That the intended purpose will be accomplished in their lives as you speak the truth in love. And as you prepare for that opportunity to speak the truth, to build up this person, then you also have to be uh, confronted by the same truth that we will speak to that brother or sister. And you have to examine, is the truth in me? And how do I will react if the same truth that I am preparing to speak to the brother how would I receive it? It's a lot harder than you think. But how do we attain this? How do we grow together? By speaking the truth. You speak the truth and you also listen to the truth in love. That is implied here. 
And we do that because we're one body in Jesus Christ. I speak the truth to my son, to my daughter, to my wife in love. And I speak the truth to someone. I speak the truth in a way that it will be beneficial and effective and look for that right opportunity. And you do that to your own family members, hopefully to your brothers and sisters, because you love and care. Because you love and care. Because you want this person to succeed and be blessed. Is that the reason why we speak the truth? Or just put them down to points? You know, corny analogy, if you point, you know, one finger point at the person and three other fingers are pointing back at you. It's kind of corny, it's old. But you see, there's a, there's a meaning behind it. We all have different functions, unique, desi- you know, designed purpose in the body of Jesus Christ. And I tell you, as Paul said, we are all equally important and very much needed. And that means we must not work uh, only together, but also we need to grow together in love. You yourself cannot be the church. Whether we're talking about local or universal, you yourself is not a church. You need one another. You need brothers and sisters who are in Jesus Christ who are confronted by becoming and growing in Christ-likeness and making sure that my life is progressing because I want to get closer to God and I want to be the light, the salt and light, the shining beacon in the world for God, for the world to see that I belong to Jesus Christ and I commune and have fellowship with Him. Therefore, my qualities that I present and I live by belongs to Jesus Christ. And that's where I got them. This is how body grows. Paul says we are joined and held together. That means we need each other to grow and mature in Christ like this. And this is how we fight our immaturity, our instability, our inability to discern. We need to encourage one another, pick one another up. And sometimes we need to speak the truth. Sometimes we need to listen to the truth that is being spoken to you so that the body of Christ may grow and mature in Christ-likeness. Now, once again, Christ-likeness, critical, and no one disagrees. Growth, however, is a process. It takes time. You know, I planted a few trees in my backyard process. You water it, you care for it, you wait. It takes time for that thing to grow. First year, you see nothing out of the tree, fruit tree, because everything happens underground. And when the root is firmly established and ready to observe next season, it grows on top. And when it's ready by the third or fourth season, you finally see fruit. It takes time. And you need to be cared for. You need to be equipped and trained. And for that to happen, you need to make yourself available. You need to gather in settings 
with the brothers and sisters, not with the random people. Define people who loves you, care for you, knows you, have relationship with you. So therefore, they will prayerfully consider how to talk to you, when to talk to you, what's the best approach. And that you will not mistake in their intention when they speak to you or you speak to them in truth, in love. And that's the only way that we grow, that we will not stay as an infant, as babies, trying to go for that cute look and trying to go, you know, I'm still adorable enough. My pastor will just let me be. Or my brothers and sisters will not notice. What would God think? What would Jesus would think, the guy who died on the cross and resurrected? What would he think when you are just satisfied completely Really okay, just being a baby and affected by the waves, affected by all these cunning words in the world and social media and what everyone does in the world. Hey, that's okay. Or are we guided and desperately rooted in the word, the truth? And is that how we live our lives? In order to bring fullness of Christ in our life. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word, encouragement, conviction, teaching. We pray to you, Lord, risen Lord, the word of God, the incarnate word of God. We want to know you. We want to know you, see you, experience you. We're not talking about some sort of a miracle experience we're talking about steady daily dosage of your grace and mercy the truth being uh, inspired instilled and inspired in our hearts for us to live our lives for the glory of our lord jesus Christ. each and every day as we live for the lord each and every day we stand for the truth each and every day, we're about you. Pray that you will grow us each and every day. Noticeably that we will give new buds here and there. Branches got stronger. Our trunk will be uh, bigger and firmer. Our roots will spread. And we will, when the time comes, will bear fruits for all the, all the people to see and be blessed and benefited. Us being like our Lord Jesus Christ. That we desire. That we pray for. And for that, we need one another. Because we are joined together in Jesus Christ. Together we serve the Lord. Together we serve each other. Because we love one another as the Lord loves us. So, Father, I pray that we would understand what church is. As Paul practically, realistically applied what it means for us to be and live, walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. May we cherish you and your church that you died. Father, we thank you for the truth that you declared to us. May it be deeply rooted in our sin. And may it benefit us. And may it glorify you.
Father, we thank you so much. Pray that as we go from here, we turn to our home, school, and workplace. Pray that you would be with us, walk with us, and before us. And we desire your favor and the favor from others. Father, we thank you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.